You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So good morning to all of you, and I know that some of you are our guests, and I'm assuming you have not been with us, especially if this is your first time you haven't been with us here at Grace, but we've been journeying through a series through the book of Genesis. We started in the very beginning, and we've worked our way now to Genesis chapter 24. And what this really is is a love story, and it's a very powerful, poetic, significant, meaningful one. But I think as we're going to see together, it's so much more than just a love story. But in keeping with that theme, I I thought we would look at some of the other love stories in Scripture, in particular, how God has brought men and women together um, for marriage. And so I hope you brought your sense of humor with you as well this morning. So let's just look at a couple of these. I was originally going to do 10 of them. We don't have time to do the top 10, so we'll do the top five or six. So if you're looking to get a wife, here's one way. Have God create a wife for you while you sleep. But this will cost you a rib. And in fairness, I think this was a once and out thing since all of humanity comes from Adam and Eve. So probably, well, it is just a one-time deal. So maybe that's not on the table. But what about this one? How to get a wife? Well, agree to work seven years in exchange for a woman's hand in marriage. Get tricked into marrying the wrong woman. Then work another seven years for the woman you wanted to marry in the first place, and that's right, 14 years of toil for a woman. And all the ladies in the congregation said she was worth it, right? (laughs) But we're going to get to that story eventually here in Genesis. And by the way, we're kind of working chronologically through the Old Testament knew with these. So here's another one. Find an attractive prisoner of war, bring her home, shave her head, trim her nails, and give her new clothes, and then she's yours. Okay, I'm sure there's context to that, and there is. Or how about this one? Go to a party and hide. And when the women come out to dance, grab one and carry her off to be your wife. The book of Judges, 21. Okay, there's definitely context for that too. But then there's this. Don't be so picky. Make up for quality with quantity. (laughs) You didn't hear that from me, okay? (laughs) Solomon, who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And 700 mothers-in-laws? Wow, okay, never mind. You didn't hear that from me either, okay? A wife? Not, right? Paul in Corinthians talking about the value of both singleness and marriage. Because not everyone is, is... prepared or called to be married or wants to get married or wants to get remarried because it isn't a relationship with another person that completes us it's Jesus Christ who completes us so being single being married are both equal values but this is a love story today with with where we're going but as I begin to read this story I was struck with the realization and I never had appreciated or realized this before that this isn't just a love story It really is a picture of righteous living because everyone in this story is portrayed as being righteous. And just so we're on the same page, when we talk about righteous or righteousness, at the essence, at the core, at the heart of that is the reality of right living with God and other people, but also justice, living justly, living rightly, living justly. That, that's really the core of what righteousness is all about. And really, I think what this story is that we're about to see is a portrait of righteousness. This is another example of what righteous living 
is all about. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 24. Take out your tablet or phone if they're not already on and go there. I'll put it up on the screens. And this is a really long story. So just for the sake of time, normally what I do is I will read the story with you and to you, and then we work our way back through it. We're not going to do that today. We're going we're gonna to do this in real time. We're going to work our way through the story and, and look at things as we walk through it, just for the sake of time. So we'll start here. Just for context and setting, this picks up at some indeterminate amount of time after Sarah, Abraham's wife, has died. And that's where we left off last week. So here we go. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now, let's stop. Right out of the gate here, where does it say that God told Abraham to go send his servant and find a wife for his son Isaac? It doesn't. So where did Abraham get this idea? Well, as we've seen in previous chapters of Genesis, assumably God did not appear to him in a vision, did not talk to him like he has at specific points along the way. Abraham evidently put two and two together and realized, hey, if this promise of God to me is going to fulfill itself, if it's going to come to fruition, Isaac needs a woman. He needs to be married. And this is right out of the gate, something you will see through this entire story, and that is an application of godly wisdom. There is a huge difference between information and wisdom. Information is facts, right? It's, it's knowledge. But wisdom is the application of facts and knowledge. Proverbially, it's information says, that's quicksand right there. I know what that looks like. That's quicksand. Wisdom says, I'm not going to walk through it and sink. I'm going to walk around it. Huge difference between information or knowledge and, and wisdom. And there is good news in all this for you and me. And it is this. The Bible teaches uncategorically that wisdom is something you can acquire. You see, sometimes we fall into the thinking that, you know, some people, they get it, and some people never will. Some people are really wise, and some people, there just isn't a whole lot of hope for. That's not what Scripture teaches at all. In fact, Proverbs very explicitly over and over again says, you can live wisely. Wisdom is something that you can learn. It is something that can be acquired. In fact, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of it's wisdom. There's a huge difference, and we talk about this all the time, in knowing about God and knowing God. Learning about God, information, and loving God. Wisdom that comes from a relationship of knowing him and, and experiencing him, which brings us back to our story. All throughout this story, we're going to run across culture. There's culture swimming all throughout this. And there's some things we're going to read and go, what? Because it was a different culture and a different time, and this is one of those. This looks a little strange to us. Put your hand under my thigh. But the reality of this is, is Abraham is calling his servant not to a favor, but to an oath, to a commitment. 
Really, he's calling him and commissioning him to a specific mission. Go find a wife for my son. And he's very specific in what he's stipulating here. He's saying, you need to leave this culture that we're in and go back to my homeland, to my own relatives. And at first glance, we could say, well, what's, what's the deal with this? Is this racial? No, it's not racial at all. This is theological. Because in the land where they're currently living, they are surrounded by people who are polytheistic. They worship many false gods. And we see in Scripture the reality of what happens when wisdom is not used. And like, for instance, in the example of Solomon, where there is a lot of intermarriage with people who are polytheistic. You see, Solomon had all those wives, not because he was this playboy, but because he was cementing political alliances because you married for wealth as well. And he was really marrying for security. That's why he had 700 wives because the thinking was, if I marry one of my kids to one of your kids, then you're not gonna attack me and we'll live in peace with one another. And this was in direct violation, not only of what scripture explicitly says from beginning to finish, God's model for marriage is one man and one woman in a lifelong commitment to one another, in a, in a covenant commitment. So we begin to see the wisdom of this and the application of wisdom in this. By way of example, is it wise if you love and know Jesus for you to be dating someone who doesn't? And the answer is no, because wisely thinking, where does dating eventually end up in? Marrying. Is it wise for you to marry someone if you know and love Jesus who does not know and love Jesus? Absolutely not. That is an application of godly wisdom, and that's what's going on here. This is extremely obedient and trusting of Abraham to do just this. And so this servant begins to question him a little bit, and this isn't disrespectful at all. In fact, look at this. The servant asked him, well, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I take your son back to the country you came from as well? Now, for those of you who are familiar with Myers-Briggs personality talk, this guy is, he's clearly a P. He's an options thinker, and he's running options here. Okay, you know, I'll do this for you, but what about this? And look how Abraham responds. Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning the matter. Once again, this is an example of Abraham behaving and acting righteously because God had told him to stay in the land. And as Gary pointed out to us last week, Abraham's not going to see that promise fully come to fruition for the land to fully be his. That's going to happen to his descendants but God did tell him I want you to stay in the land and that is exactly what he's doing and that's why he won't let Isaac leave either because he trusts God to take care of this and therefore he's being obedient it is a remarkable picture here between the servant and Abraham but I would submit to you everyone in the story of trusting the word and the work of God 
But here's the deal. If you're going to trust the word of God, you got to know the word of God. So do you? Do you know the word of God? Do you read it? Do you listen to it? Do you memorize it? Do you absorb it? You know, in a gathering this size with this many of us, I'm sure there are some of you, in fairness, that this is the only input you get from God's word each week. And that this is a great place to start. But the reason we preach and teach the way we do on Sunday mornings in no small part is to equip you to study God's word for yourself and to be absorbing and learning from it yourself which presupposes, which assumes you actually are, right? And our generation, our culture, I should say, this day and age, we have access to God's word in ways that generations prior to us would have never dreamed of. You can absorb God's word in so many different ways now. I do when I'm driving. I listen to my Bible app, just the U version that's free, that you can download from the Apple the, the iTunes store or, or um, Play Store with Android. But I, I read through the Bible that way. And when I hear something I want to hear again, I just back it up and I listen to it when I'm stopped, of course, not when I'm driving. But that's how I absorb the Word of God on an ongoing basis. It's not the only way, but it's a consistent way. And the point is, you can't trust the Word of God if you don't know the Word of God. And too many of us are making decisions and making choices in our lives that are not wise because we don't know the word of God. When we don't have to live that way, when there's so much blessing, if we will absorb the word of God. So let's go back to the word of God here. Then the servant left, taking with him 10 of his master's camels, we'll come back to that, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out from Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. And he had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time that women go out to draw water. And then he prayed and watched this prayer. Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to your master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now let's back up here for a minute. Camels are mentioned in this. And this is very significant because once again, we know from archaeology and history and a whole lot of scholarship that this is just in world history when camels are beginning to be domesticated. If you had a camel, you were fabulously wealthy. And how many does Abraham send with the servant? Ten. I want you to think of ten of the fastest, coolest, most exotic cars you can think of, and you own ten of them. This is fabulous wealth because God has richly blessed Abraham because of his trust and because of his obedience. It's, it's, it's God keeping his promises. So, this is not only significant because of what it represents, but because of what's going on here. It says he went to Nahor. And Nahor 
is in the same area. Some even think it's the synonymous with the name of Haran. And where is Abraham from? Haran. And again, through archaeology and study, we're not absolutely sure, but we're pretty sure where Haran is in modern geography today. And this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from where Abraham was living. This journey took weeks, probably months. This was a long journey. And so the servant, being obedient and trusting, expecting God to work, goes back to the land where Abraham asks him to go, and this is how he prays. Did you see the specificity of that prayer? You pray like that? Should you pray like that? Can you pray like that? Yesterday, we had a prayer summit here at Grace. And believe me, I understand. You can't always carve out half of a Saturday for something like that. It's, there's a price tag with that. Totally get that. You have blessing with that. But would you please put on your bucket list at some point to come to one of those? Because there is something that happens when God's people gather together just to pray. I can't describe it to you, but it is special and it is significant. And yesterday, as we were praying together, we prayed some very specific prayers for you and for our community and for what God has called us to do and be as a church. And we got very specific. So should we pray with specificity? I really do think we should. I think our heart behind that matters he is praying, this servant, in this way because he's trying to be obedient to God and trying to trust God for what his master, Abraham, has entrusted to him. But, but look at this prayer. It's hopeful, it's respectful, but it is bold. And it is specific and it is expectant. He expects God to work. Do you? When you pray, do you expect God to work? Now, again, in fairness, we should pray bold, expectant, specific prayers. It doesn't mean God's always going to answer in the way we expect he will or on the timetable that we expect that he will. We don't put God on the hook for things that he hasn't promised to us, but at the same time, he tells us, be bold, be specific, come to me, ask. I am a good father. We just sang about that. I, I want to bless your life. No one wants to bless your life and mine more than God does, especially when we want to trust and obey him. And what I love throughout this story is everybody is expecting God to work. Everybody. Because he is. God is always at work. What did, John, what did Jesus say in John chapter five? My father to this day is working and I am too. Whose world is this? This is God's world. We broke it, in all fairness, but he is redeeming it, he is repairing it, he is restoring it, and by the way, he made it, and he's gonna return to it someday. So are you living like that? Are you praying like that? Am I? Do we expect God to work? Even when we can't see it, even when we aren't necessarily in that moment experiencing it. A couple weeks ago, the Lord woke me up early Sunday morning. This doesn't always happen. It, it sometimes happens. 
And I really do think it was the Lord because I can differentiate insomnia or when my mind is spin cycling about something which doesn't happen very often or when God wakes me up and has a word for me. And what was impressed on me was you need to pray. And you need to pray specifically for someone to receive me today. And so I did. And we pray that, by the way, every Sunday morning before we start the services, the production and worship team and the preacher and whoever else is around, we gather together and we pray and we pray that people would step into the kingdom. With whoever's listening to this here or online, people would step into the kingdom, would receive Jesus into their lives. But two weeks ago in particular, God impressed on my heart to, to, to pray for that very specifically for, for someone And there was no guarantee that I was going to see them or know who that person was. I just knew someone was going to receive Jesus that morning. Between services that very morning, actually right before this service, someone stopped me out in our lobby and said, "Um, I need to do that thing. I've heard this language before. I know what that is. I said, is that thing, praying to receive Jesus? Yeah, that, I need to do that. Bring it. Yeah. So we prayed, and out in the lobby, literally as I'm supposed to be coming in to do highlights, Stephen is receiving Jesus. Stephen was in the last service. He helped serve communion. He is, he is a different person. And he said, you told my story, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I did. And what the Spirit very clearly, lovingly, gently communicated to me that morning, two weeks ago, was, why are you surprised? Because I was. As I was walking in and I'm, I'm you know, excited and happy and going, oh, I remember when I received Jesus, I'm so excited for Stephen. God, thank you for the privilege of praying with someone to receive Jesus. I never take that for granted. And it's, it's not a you or me thing. It's a Holy Spirit thing. People receive Jesus when they're ready to receive Jesus. You may not get the privilege of being able to pray with someone like that. I hope that you get to at some point in your life. But, but there's, it's a huge privilege. And yet I'm thinking, gosh, God didn't see that coming. And he said, really? <laughs> what did we talk about this morning? Yes, Lord. And it was gen- very gentle and very loving but it was corrective. Why were you surprised that I'm working? I'm always working, even when you can't see it. And God is at work here. And God is at work every time we gather together and God is work, at work when you leave here and his spirit is working in your life. And we're really praying for God's work here in a couple weeks. And I hope that you will be considering who you can invite to come with you to Easter who needs to hear about Jesus. Do you expect God to work? I hope you do, and I hope that you'll pick up one of those cards in the back. You don't have to hand that to someone, but it does have our service information. Service times are the same. But who are you going to invite to bring in a couple weeks to hear about Christ at a time of year when people will come to church who never come to church? But all that being said, God's at work here, and the people are expecting him to work here, and the story continues. So before the servant had finished praying, did you catch that? Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. And she was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. 
No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied the jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. So before we talk about this passage, let's cover what we just read. It says this young woman comes out to draw water. And her name is Rebecca. Rebecca literally means ensnaring beauty. And outwardly she is very beautiful. And the writer goes out of their way to say that here in the passage. But that's not what he's talking about the most. She wasn't just outwardly beautiful. She had an even greater beauty that was inward and enduring beauty. There's more said about her character here than there is about her outward beauty. And that gets put on display with what she does next. It was common hospitality for you to offer a traveler a drink of water. That was something most people would do, most women would do. But to water his camels was going way above and beyond. And he had 10. Do you know how much water camels drink? (laughs) The average camel drinks 21 gallons of water a day. How much work do you think she went to? How many trips to the well did she make in order to adequately water 10 camels? It's remarkable. She was going way above and beyond. And what had the man prayed? A very specific prayer that exactly this would take place if it's what God wanted. Remarkable. And he goes above and beyond in his thanks for her. He gives her, when they had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. That was going way above and beyond in thanking her. They go, both go way above and beyond to show honor to one another. And then it says this, then he asked, whose daughter are you? And please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? Now, I have two daughters. If some dude they never knew came up to them and said, <laughs> whose daughter are you? And by the way, can we come over to your house and hang out with your dad and your family? Uh, no. But again, this is culture, Right? This was common practice. This was common expected hospitality. This wasn't weird. He wasn't hitting on her. This was appropriate. And look at how she responds. She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Whose daughter is she? If you'll remember with me in Genesis 22, which we're going to come back to on Easter, but for those of you who have read the very end of that, it talks about Abraham's brother Nahor and the sons that he had, the youngest being Bethuel. And where, coincidentally, after praying and asking God, and I'm putting my cards on the table here, this is no coincidence. Who does the servant end up meeting and talking with? A descendant 
a distant relative of Abraham's. Rebecca is Abraham's grandniece. What a coincidence. Not. The work of God. Yes. Let's continue on. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. And man, is this so incredibly powerful. How does he respond to God's work? He praises God. He celebrates. He's happy. There's incredible joy. And I think there's something here for us as well. In our culture, when you or I are successful, what does our culture tell us, coach us, reinforce for us to say? Look what I did. I'm gonna post. It's all about me. Me, me, me. Look at me, look at me. Or there's a false humility that can creep in. And honestly, this swims around in Christian circles at times. And I got to speak to it because I don't think it's representative of Scripture and how God wants us to live. But you'll hear people say, oh, it's all God. Yeah, look what God did. You know, God did this. I had no part of this. Or, you know, it's all about God and not about me. And uh, no, righteous living is you and God. And what does he do here? He praises God, but he also celebrates his success that God has blessed him. You see, our culture says, it's all about me. False humility says, it's all about God. Righteous living is, it's about us. Look what God did, but look what I did by trusting and obeying God. And that's what righteous living is all about. The Holy Spirit infuses us, empowers us, motivates us, enables us to make choices that are right and godly and good and that, and that please God. And that's not a me thing, that's a we thing. And I think it's pretty incredible. And now there is an urgency that begins to pick up in this story. The young woman, Rebecca, ran, probably because she's excited, and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban. We're going to hear a lot more about him in the coming weeks. And he hurried out to the man at the spring. And as soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. And then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. And he now is going to recount everything that we've just looked at together. The mission Abraham gives him, the prayer that he prays, where he goes, how he meets Rebecca, how he connects the dots, how God connects the dots and makes it all happen. He lays it all out for him. And this is how Laban and Rebecca's dad respond. This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. This is not them saying, whoa, what a coincidence. And this is not them saying, you know, a statement of resignation like, ah, well, we're not going to argue with you. This is really a celebration. And who do they give credit to? That word for Lord is not the word for Lord that is sometimes used to name some type of God, 
It's not a general term of respect for a God or gods. This word for Lord is the personal name of God, Yahweh. They happen to be Yahweh worshipers. In a land filled with people who are polytheistic and who worship many false gods, they happen, Abraham's family, who the servant happens to find and meet, are already Yahweh worshipers. What a coincidence. No. The, the, the work of God. Are, do you see God's work and all that? It's just, it's remarkable. And so what do they do? They join God's work. They say, this is clearly a God thing. So we're going to go with it. And that's what living righteously is all about. You expect God to work. You look for God's work. You recognize God's work. And then you jump right in the middle of it. And they do. And so the servant leaves them all this wealth and gold and clothes because Rebecca's about to go back with him and to become Isaac's bride. But the family's not quite ready for that. Because when they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. Again, here's this picture of urgency. But her brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so, and then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so that I may go to my master. They're connecting the dots that she's gonna leave and she's probably never gonna come back and they're probably never gonna see her again. So they, they want some last time with her. Boy, I totally get it. Someday, if my girls end up getting married, I am gonna savor those last days before they're married and enter that new season of life. I plan a good cry at their wedding. I'm gonna hang on to as much as I need to hang on to, and then I'm gonna embrace it. Can you blame them? They, they want some time with her. But then they said, okay, since you want to go now, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. And what we see here, again, is an incredibly powerful picture of trust and obedience. God clearly has been at work. Everybody sees that. And many scholars have pointed out that Rebecca is a female equivalent of Abraham. There are so many similarities. The very land that God told Abraham to leave is the very land that now Rebecca's gonna leave. She's about to leave with a guy she's known for one day to go to a land she's never been to and to go be with distant relatives who she's never met and to marry a man she doesn't know at all. Incredible trust and incredible obedience. She responds to God's work, as does everyone here. And so the family, in celebration, prays this blessing over her. And again, this was common, but this is a very uncommon blessing. They blessed Rebecca and said to her, Oh, sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. They had no idea how true that would be. Because there is a baton handoff that's taking place here in the book of Genesis. The man of the promise, Abraham and Sarah, are now passing the baton of that promise to Isaac and Rebekah, the next generation of the promise. And this is exactly what's gonna happen as God fulfills his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah. Someday their descendants will be a thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And so they make the long journey home
And we don't have time to look at this, but it's very beautiful if you want to go back and look at it on your own. But it's just like a, it's just like a movie. Rebecca sees Isaac from a distance and asks, who is that? And the servant says, it's my master. So she puts a veil over her face, which again was custom. And, um, and they, they see each other for the first time. And it's beautiful and powerful. And the servant tells Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, it doesn't explicitly say that husbands and wives loved each other. It's assumed. So when the passage does say that, it's going out of that way to make a point. That Isaac deeply loved Rebekah. And this picks up where we left off last week. He's still mourning his mom. He's still hurting over Sarah dying. He's still grieving her. And of course he is. Because as we looked at last week, grief is not something you you get over. It's something you get through. And it becomes a part of your life. But he's comforted by the fact that he's now going to marry Rebecca. And it's, and it's beautiful. And this is a very beautiful love story. And there's, there's another love story that this has reminded me of. It's a story I know of of a couple of high school students. There was this one high school kid who really liked this one high school girl, didn't have the guts to ask her out, evidently. And so this was their sophomore year, their junior year came along, and they went from having one class their sophomore year to having six out of seven classes together their junior year. They couldn't get away from each other. And so they were in this English class, and part of the assignment of this English class was to keep this journal, and you would interact with the material of the class each day and write in the journal. And sometimes the teacher would say, I want you to trade journals with someone in the class and write in those journals. And so that would happen, and so one day, that this boy got the courage to ask the girl for her journal when it was time to exchange. And so to his surprise, she said okay and gave him her journal. Well, he took it home and he did something he probably shouldn't have done. He read it, all of it. And there was something that was written in code there. And there was this guy that this girl liked and this guy was named Star. And Star was the, you know, the symbol for whenever she'd talk about this guy. And the more... The guy who had the journal began to read about Star. The more he realized, I'm the star. (laughs) She's describing me. And so he got the courage to actually ask her on a date because he had cracked the code and had read the journal. That was 33 years ago when I met Jamie. She was my high school sweetheart. She was my college sweetheart. And now she's my wife. This story isn't just a love story that we're looking at here this morning. This is God's story. And therefore, it's our story. And the great news about this love story is there is no code to crack. This God wants you to see him. He wants you to hear him. He wants you to respond to him and to see his work in your life. And this God loves you and me so much, he will not share you with brokenness and selfishness and sin. He wants all of you to be in right relationship with him. 
And so at incredible cost to himself, what we celebrate every day, what we especially remember on Easter, is that this God willingly goes to a cross and dies this excruciating, painful, shameful, torturous death, and in doing so takes all your brokenness, all my sin, all my selfishness upon himself, and in exchange, because he dies and then rises again to life, he gives me his righteousness, his power for right living with him and with other people. And that, my friends, is the love story that we are a part of, but we have to respond to it. You have to choose to receive this God into your life. And Christianity is the only worldview, the only religion, the only belief system that says this God wants to get so close to you, he will literally come and live inside of you through his Holy Spirit. Jesus said it this way when asked by a group of people, so how do you respond to God's work? He said, well, it does take some work on your part, and here's the work. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So will you? Do you? Because this is a one-time thing and this is a moment-by-moment thing. The one-time thing is what Stephen did two weeks ago before this service. Will you choose to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by receiving him into your life, by responding to him in that way? And for those of you who do know him, then the decision is to trust him and believe in him and entrust yourself to him on an ongoing basis. And so as our worship team comes, we're going to celebrate all these realities with communion because communion points to all these realities for us. And so this is what we're going to do. Part of a righteous life is serving others like Rebecca did. A big part of her beauty was her character was the fact that she was righteous, that she would serve someone that she didn't know. Would you be willing to serve someone you don't know here this morning? Would eight of you come up here, no experience necessary, and help distribute the elements to our church family here this morning? Would eight of you consider doing that? I'm not good at math, but I need more of you than that. That I do know. That's great. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Fantastic. Thank you, everybody. This is what we're going to do. We are going to distribute these elements to you. The crackers or the bread that's here is all gluten-free, so you don't need to worry about that. So you will take a cracker, you will take a cup of juice, and you will hold on to them because we will celebrate communion together once everyone has been served. And while we're serving you, we're going to worship together. So worship team, let's worship. Communion really does look back on what Jesus has done on the cross and his resurrection for all of us. And as Jesus was speaking to this same crowd that I just read out of John 6 with you, 
Some of them took him literally with what he's about to say here. And sometimes these words are misunderstood, but they're actually profoundly beautiful and powerful as we prepare to take communion together. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus not talking about cannibalism, but looking forward to the cross and his resurrection. And someday, us as those who believe, remembering what he's done for us. So again, the starting point for this is to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And you can do that right now, just between you and him. With what we just sung, I give you my heart. I want you in my life. And for those of us who have done that, this once again is us saying, you have my heart. You have my life. And I will follow you. I will believe. So let's do that together. Lord, thank you so much for what you have done for each one of us. And I pray for those who are listening that if they're not sure if they know you, God, that they would make that sure and certain by receiving you into their lives, by giving you their hearts. And God, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you that you give us the power to live righteously, to trust and obey you because of your spirit within us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. 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 And I hope that you mean what you just saying, that you will trust in him. Gosh, if you're new to our church family, if you're a guest, well, we invite you just out the doors in the back there to come down the hallway to next. We would love to meet you and just have a little bit of time with you. We have prayer teams that will be off to the sides here. If there's anything we can pray for you about, we'd sure like to. But I'd like to end our time with the way we started. Because this story, story continued in the face of loss. Abraham had lost his wife, Sarah, as had Isaac had lost his mom, and they were grieving, they were hurting, and yet there was hope. And God's work was continuing. And it reminds me in John 11 of when Mary and Mar Martha had lost their brother Lazarus. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do I? Because as we go from here, we don't go alone. Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, goes with us to empower us and motivate us and guide us 
and give us the ability to live righteously with God and with others. And so that's my prayer for you as we leave here. Let me pray that. God, I pray blessing over each person here, each person listening, that you would help us to truly trust in you like we just sang, to believe you, to take you at your word, to expect you to work, to respond to your work when we see it and to join and jump right in the middle of it because you are the one true God and you go with us and we are so grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. So we hope we get to see you next week. God's blessing on you and go live for him. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.